Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today, Dr. Bosazan interviews Raul Pomares. He's the founder of Sonen Capital LLC, a dedicated impact investment management firm where the objectives to invest for financial returns and lasting social and environmental impact are not only compatible, but also mutually reinforcing. So thank you, Raul, for um, having us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Look forward to our conversation. Raul, you're an internationally recognized speaker, author on sustainability and impact investing, and a renowned force for good. How did you become that? What happened in your life that put you on this path? Wow, that's a thank you. It's flattering to be suggested uh, that way, and particularly in your, with, in, your, in your company as well as others that I know have been a part of this series and, and podcast. So I, I think in, in large part, I'm just happy to be one more player in this uh, ecosystem. But in terms of my, you know my journey, it, you know it's really difficult. People often ask, "What was that one thing?" And it, it's really hard to find just one thing because it's really been a, a series of things. I think there's no question. Uh, you know, my, uh, my my personal kind of life uh, life in the sense, you know, first generation Cuban American. So, growing up in a household of an immigrant family with you know strong commitment and values around social justice. I also had the I had the opportunity to grow up in Northern California, where I became an avid fan of everything outdoors, and so the environment just naturally became something that was important to me. I then started a career in finance, um, and you know, lo and behold, found my way into the world of investment management, uh, and uh, it was that kind of combination of that discipline, that training with then um, that personal background perspective and just kind of seeing what was happening in the world. Uh, you know, always we're very fortunate uh, to travel extensively and kind of get a very global perspective and see what, what, what the world was like and what was happening and opportunities and needs and the challenges we face and see them, you know, every day uh, across the country, around the world and just really got motivated and figured out, well, wait a second, how can I most affect the change and recognize that, well, if I, if I take that understanding that belief, take the skills I've been, that, uh, the career that I've built and bring the two together, I have probably the highest probability of achieving some level of scale to move the needle on some of these issues. And so how did you get from that to where you are today? Well, it's, uh, it's been a journey. So, uh, you know, really, if I had to kind of pinpoint at least one of those things professionally that kind of triggered this change was uh, back in 1999, I had the pleasure, I know they've probably been part of your series, Charlie and Lisa Kleisner. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting them, and it was really they who challenged me to kind of think differently about their wealth. Um, they had, in particular for their foundation, they had said, hey, you know, we really want to align this uh, foundation with kind of our purpose. And like most people, you can imagine back in 1999, I said, don't worry, I'll create negative screens. And they're like, great, but not good enough. They said, no, we want something more. We really want something more. And so what did I do? I, I went out to the marketplace. I first coming from the investment world, I went and knocked on the doors of the CIOs and advisors and consultants from all around the country. And quite frankly, most of them laughed me out of their offices and said, Raul, your purpose in life should be one thing, make these people money. Tell them if they want to do something good in the world, they can just give it away. I said, well, wrong answer. So I said, okay, if that's, the, let me go see what the foundation world is doing. And so I went and looked and had been a student of some of the early work of the Jesse Smith Noyes Foundation, the F.B. Heron Foundation, and looked at what they were doing and said, okay, well, this is interesting. But I felt that there was still a very much a philanthropic angle. 
And so I went back to uh, Charlie and Lisa and said, hey, guys, this is something that resonates with me personally. Um, I don't see a solution in the marketplace, but if you're willing to be patient, I'll uh, go out and build it. And so I started to create tools, frameworks, methodologies. But I also kind of recognized, you know, I was a little boutique in San Francisco. Nobody was going to take me seriously. And so in that journey of exploring other firms, I did have an opportunity to at least connect with one firm uh, that was at scale, which was with scale and the potential to scale even larger in a firm called Guggenheim Partners, who, although they themselves had not uh, uh, been doing any work in this space, at least uh, at the time the CIO uh, who hired me said he'd be willing to support this effort. And so my idea was to leave this boutique, go to a large platform where I would have the, the scale and the ability uh, to continue to do this work and, and, and build a higher profile for, uh, for the work I was doing. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, after, uh, you know, achieving some modicum of success doing it that way, realized it was time to build something to just be much more focused and starting at the you know, end of 2007, kind of you know, wrote the next business plan for the next chapter of my career in life. And uh, that was really the impetus that ultimately led uh, within a couple of years to stepping out and starting uh, Sonin Capital. Wow. So you're also the editor and uh, co-author of Evolution of an Impact Portfolio from Implementation to Results. In a nutshell, what advice would you give to our listeners and beginners in this field on how to develop an impact portfolio? Great. So without sounding too self-serving, the first thing I would say is go back first and read Solutions from Impact Invest for Impact Investors from Strategy Implementation, which I was co-author on. And that and because really what that was, that was kind of the, the a how-to guide. And what we did with and the importance and the significance of the evolution report was to take it from how-to to what were the results and where we showed uh, we, we showed the results. Where can people get those? Uh, those are both available on our website, uh, available across multiple websites, but uh, for sure, on our website, the solutions is also downloadable Which from is? Uh, our www.sonincapital.com. If you go to the thought leadership, thought leadership section, you'll find uh, almost all of our publications that we've been affiliated with uh, and or directly at. You can also find it on Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors' website as well as KF Felicitas Foundation's websites are all places that you can get this information. But nonetheless, I mean, the key, so the key takeaway was, you know, uh, it was understanding that if you do take a kind of a disciplined, systematic approach and, and actually uh, uh, consider this, that you know it can be done, it can be done well, and it can achieve both commercially viable, respectable financial returns and be making more significant contributions to the social environmental issues that, uh, in this case, the foundation or others yeah. that we're, we're focused on. Yeah. Okay. So that's. The advice can be found there, and then contacting you in person. Oh, uh, of course. Or there, you know, the beauty of it is today, unlike unlike when these things came out, where they were kind of isolated events. There's a much more robust ecosystem. So I think the key to uh, candidly, the key to success for anyone entering the space is, you know, we all know the adage in real estate, location, location, location. To be successful as an impact investor, it's education, education, education. So whether you go to our website, you call us, or you go anywhere else to the myriad of resources that exist today in the marketplace from things like the uh, through Tonic, the, the Tonic Association, and the very, you know, by becoming a, either a member or just participating in their events or gaining access to what the data that they have on their websites. The GIN, the Global Impact Investors Network, Confluence Philanthropy, there's just a very robust ecosystem of service providers and resources that candidly, you know, 18 years ago when I started this, there was no place to go look up. You now have a place to go. 
Even your Bloomberg terminal now has information around sustainability-related issues. So you can find these things. BlackRock, even. <laughs> yes, you can find these things from more and more places every day. Well, which is a positive development, I believe. I think that my, my take is uh, I, I echo that sentiment, and I think that the entrance of these large institutions into the space are signal an important moment in time in that we candidly need that scale if we really want to be successful in tackling these issues. I would also say, though, um, the concern, of course, is are they simply pursuing this from a marketing perspective or are they actually raising that capital and deploying it uh, with the same kind of ethos and integrity of around the impact goals. And there I'm not going to judge, I'm going to reserve judgment, but ask that those investors hold them accountable to show the actual results of that, not just the financial results, but those impact results, so that then we can all uh, uh, determine and attest to how impactful or not those have been, or are they just simply, uh, you know, a, a, a pretty sticker and a pretty label wrapped around the things that they've historically done. Right, which comes back to the original definition of an impact investor, which is associated with the intention of really having an impact. Absolutely. We are now <clears throat> at the beginning of the exponential tech where it all becomes obvious and can be seen. Um, that is going to massively disrupt the old ways we do business, but also investing and most of all impact. And it will impact us even more than um, in the past. So how do you perceive this transformation from the perspective of impact investing? You know, in, in talking about AI and exponential tech and bio, biotech and, uh, you know, robots and nanobots and whatever they, uh, the, the latest fad is. And what advice can you give our fellow investors who want to enjoy the ride? How can exponential tech and impact investing go together and positively reinforce each other? I think, I think absolutely the same way exponential technology is transforming every other aspect of our life, there's absolutely no question that it will, it will have a, has a role and a significant role uh, to play in the world of impact investing. I think there are, I heard a great line uh, in which someone said, not every, not every social entrepreneur needs to be a tech, inve tech, tech investor, but every so social entrepreneur can only achieve its real lasting scale through the application of technology. And that really resonated with me as something that um, is, a, is a reality. So I think there are very unquestionably broad, broad uh, implications of technology that will absolutely support impact, but I think there's also very, some very specific aspects. So for example, uh, back to that, the conversation we were just having around the importance of measuring impact. I believe that technology, uh, uh, the, the, uh, technology can be an incredibly powerful tool that can be leveraged to lower the cost the time and create far greater efficiency in capturing and recognizing and reporting on that data around that impact so that uh, on a much more proactive basis, we can both uh, not only understand what the impact of our investments has been, but also perhaps where those, where those impacts weren't exactly what we're looking for, have a, have a sense of data that can allow us to then uh, refine or tweak how we make that next investment. So I think it's going to be, that's, I think in, in the area of impact measurement, technology has an enormous role to play in the application of bringing scale, of scaling these types of solutions that, uh, that as you said, intentionally bring more positive social uh, or environmental impact 
uh, technology can be a powerful force in doing those things. Speaking of measuring impact, how do you measure impact at Sonen? What, uh, there aren't any real standards, they're only quasi-standards. Absolutely, and, and I, my first answer to that question always is, you know, the, you know, people, you know, the lack or the challenges associated with the lack of either uh, 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 of, of standards, universal standards, is, should not be an excuse not to do it. Because at the end of the day, uh, we all know that, first of all, all investing has an impact. And all what we've tried to do is define our industry and space as saying we want to at least find a way. So how to, uh, uh, to understand that impact and identify it as being more positive uh, than negative. So how do we do that? Well, uh, it's a broad process uh, come, and it's slightly uh, deviated between how we do it in say public market investing versus private investing. Where in public market, we're relying on a number of outside data sources to provide us uh, data around what are the specific environmental, social, or governance related characteristics of how companies or projects are performing um, on the, uh, and we gather that data and assess that, and then we evaluate that very much in the same way financially. You historically benchmark and say, okay, if this was my global equity return, I'm going to benchmark it to the MSCI ACWI. Well, we took that same philosophy and said, if this is my financial return that I benchmark to that, ben to that benchmark, I'm going to benchmark the impact uh, and the environmental and the social and the governance score of that portfolio versus the benchmark. But when we get into the private space, it's absolutely a much more kind of targeted thematic approach. And what we do there is for each very specific theme or sector in which we're going to be investing, we define a, ver a, a very specific set of core impact indicators. And we've chosen to focus on three. People always say, why three? Well, one or two is not enough, but candidly, as you get above three, you start to suffer from analysis potential for analysis paralysis. So we start with three indicators which are relative to each of the sectors we're investing, which we believe those indicators are, are will be measures of how we're contributing to the outcome that we seek. We then also create secondary impact indicators for each of these areas. And then lastly, we identify what are the most appropriate third-party standards that exist. We're strong advocates of utilizing many of the tools and resources. One of the things that we were very early, if not one of the first firms to do, uh, when the United Nations System on Dialing Goals, one of the things that we appreciated about that was they did kind of signal to the market, to the, to the globe, and say, hey, here are a series of, of objectives we should all have in common for the, you know, the long-term survivability of humanity. And so uh, we align and report our, our, our results in alignment with those SDGs. But again, we have to use a number of others um, measurements. So it's a very, as I said, as you can see, it's a very data intensive process. So that's where your earlier question about why I, I passionately feel that the technology can be exponentially powerful in addressing it is because uh, it, it, it's a big component of how we can have success in, in measuring and understand, not just measuring for the sake of measuring, but measuring for the sake of understanding what we're doing, how to do it, and how to do it better the next time. And again, people can find research you know, you've published on Correct. those measurements and how you deliver them and the results and so on. You can find them on the website. Absolutely. So once again, at our website in the thought leadership section, you'll see our, our, our impact reports. Also very excited to say, for those not familiar, in, uh, uh, last, just a couple months ago, 20, we, our, our 2016 uh, report was awarded Best Impact Report for Small Medium Sized Firm by Responsible Investing. Uh, and so we're very ex we're excited that and we're, we're hoping to repeat with our 2017 because we think our 2017 we were able to improve on what we did in 2016. So, but it's something we continually strive for, uh, and we're pleased to be in the company of all those other uh, nominees. It's great to see that the field is is recognizing the value and the importance of this.
Yeah. If you look at, depending on uh, whose research data you're looking at, uh, they say that there is only like 1% uh, impact investing uh, uh, invested with impact out of the total assets under management. From your perspective, how can we reach the tipping point in investing where every investment um, is performed in a sustainable way, way to address those challenges for, for the sake of our descent? As a matter of fact, I just re read a, uh, a wonderful paper by a very famous investor, and he said, well, if you look at some investors, then you might... Um, think that they hate their grandchildren <laughs> because they don't care, seem to care about anything else but uh, for profit only. So Yeah, no, it's a, that's a, it's, that, that obviously is a, a very important question and something that I wish I had the, the perfect answer and that collectively we had a solution towards. But I think no question, it goes back to one of the comments I already made, which is that, that notion of education. People need to get educated and understand that this is no longer, you know, the notion or the idea of who people uh, often I used to see in the early days who would want to do this and then would go running to their advisor or to, their, uh, to whoever it is that the assets that they're overseeing are managed. And we're told, no, 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 you can't do this stuff. And patted on the head and sent away. So they need to they need to recognize that that's not the case. You know there are track records, there are opportunities, there are there is an ability to do this. One, second thing though, in a, in a, apart from educating themselves, asset owners have to have the courage. You have to have the courage just to not accept the status quo response of no, it can't be done or shouldn't be done, and and, and recognize uh, that it can be done. And as I said, uh, to have the courage to make the necessary changes in how the assets that you oversee or are entrusted to or whatever your capacity is, take these into consideration. Thirdly, you have to have the discipline to do this well and do this work well. You you need to bring the, just be, the, the we we can't let the 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 passion and the desire to have these changes uh, leave behind the importance of the discipline of applying kind of rigorous discipline, assessment, evaluation, and due diligence, and all those things that that we, we think of as quote you know bad ideas that come from uh, traditional finance. No, we we need both together. We need the passion, but we need that discipline. Uh, and I think you know through education, discipline. Uh, uh, and courage, uh, we have a chance of, uh, of really moving the needle. So, tipping point, 10% minimum? As I, I, it's, it's really, again, I, I, I look at all those numbers that are thrown out there by the industry, and you know, I'm highly suspectful of, of, of many of those numbers because a big problem, one of the biggest challenges we continue to face as an industry is how or who you're defining as an impact investment. Yes. And so this is where I always keep, I sound like a broken record. I say the same thing all the time. Let's get real, folks. All investments have impact. Thank you for that. That was my next question. <laughs> Every investment has impact. So how do we bust the myth that so, there aren't enough investment opportunities? This is what they keep saying. They, they, well, this is where I say, you know, get out there and recognize that there are uh, there are, you know, as, as I said, numerous places where you can now see databases, where you can now go out and find, you know, the Tonic has a database, the Gin has a database. As I said, you can even now query in your Bloomberg terminal for information around these things and find. So don't just, you know, so part of it is also recognizing it's, it's not just about those that have emblazoned impact and sustainability on their brand. You know, look at what companies and projects are doing, how they're doing it, all those different components, and you might find, and you will see that there is, again, it is a robust ecosystem and marketplace of, uh, of investments uh, available. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I couldn't agree more. So what bad advice on investment transformation do you keep hearing that you would like to, um, to have investors avoid? 
Well, I, I think the I think the, the, some of the same bad. Well, what, the first bad advice is the, the classic. Well, if you do this, you're implicitly giving up. You're, 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 there's, a, there's a trade off for return. I think I hope. We've more than proved we've more than proven that. And there's enough research and documentation out there uh, to do that. I think the sec I think the second piece of advice that people I find, even with those who get past that, but who are are still susceptible to, is this notion of as I said earlier, kind of uh, when it comes to impact measurement, kind of analysis paralysis around the impact, where people get so fixated on they can't measure exactly specifically what that is the impact that they want to have and that somehow that becomes an excuse for not doing anything i think it's really important to understand first of all all the issues all the challenges we're talking about are intrinsically linked so whether you're a passionate environmental investor or whether you're a passionate social investor these two worlds are intrinsically linked and so to think about uh, measuring or evaluating or considering only investments that are in you know the the, the very narrow focus of your particular past issue area. It's really important to cast a much wider net and understand if you want to address health-related issues in emerging markets. Well, you need to not only be investing in direct healthcare solutions, but you need to understand uh, why it is that those people are getting sick in the first place and understand what are the environmental factors that are contributing to that and look to invest and address that issue. If you're trying. Uh, um, you need to provide them access to capital. You need to provide it, it, this, the, 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 this highly narrow, targeted, focused approach that so many people are, are taking into the space right now. Uh, although uh, I, I understand and, and appreciate where it's coming from, I think uh, the concern uh, or what I, I, I take away is that people will get so lost and fixated on, on that one issue that they won't, that they'll lose that more holistic perspective that's going to be necessary for not only, pro, uh, not only achieving the, the level of scale of capital we need, but in order to really just even address the, 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 the total, uh, take a systematic and systemic approach to solving these issues. I could agree more. Um, on a round planet, there is no choosing upsides. There you go. If you don't hate your grandchildren, <laughs> you do something. So what do you find your investment opportunities? Where does Sonnen Capital? We're very fortunate in that we have kind of two, two aspects to our business. One, we've created a series of pooled vehicles where we offer uh, kind of turnkey solutions to investors to pursue kind of our best ideas, if you would, around uh, within kind of specific asset classes. So in that context, that is really kind of our broad view of the world and you know we think things very specifically you know opportunities say in real asset investing on a global basis uh, we think we see opportunities in investing in emerging markets uh, as, as key themes but in addition to kind of those portfolios and strategies dictated by us at Sonin we also have the pleasure and the opportunity to work with clients who have their own mission, vision, and values set that they want to see expressed. And there it's about taking our process and methodology and enabling them to execute their vision. So for example, right now, very interesting and excited about uh, work we're doing in particular in supporting a, uh, a community foundation's development of a woman invest focused portfolio. So, a, you know, what, you know, a gender lens portfolio, but going beyond kind of the historical notion or idea of, oh, women on the board or women fund managers. No, really, a, they've been really challenging us to really understand what are some of the root causes specifically around gender-based violence against women and trying to find means in which you can invest against that thesis. Uh, so that, I, f I find those types of projects and challenges 
very interesting. We've started also doing some work, a lot of work in Latin America, having a large corporate investor who wanted to invest, but because this is a, a company based predominantly out of Latin America, although a global firm, they want their pension dollars. So these are their actual pensioners who work in this company. So they want to see their impact much more regionally. And so again, that, that opportunity and that challenge to go out and identify and, uh, and find these things, uh, we'll get very excited about uh, both. The things that we completely control as well as the opportunity we have in enabling clients and other asset owners to achieve their visions. Right. Can you say something to the processes that you go, the due diligence? How do you, um, sure. you, know, how do you make sure that your investment will qualify and it will ultimately become an impact investment. Absolutely. So it goes back, it, it, you know, we have a kind of, as I, as I talked about earlier, this really this important of this discipline process. So our process really starts first and foremost with kind of a, a uh, kind of a, 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 in this case, a global or regional macro assessment. And it's not just the typical financial macro assessment, but it's also understanding environmental kind of social factors that are influencing that market. From there, we develop a series of outcomes, right? The notion is what is the positive change that we want to see occur relative to what we're seeing in terms of the, the global macro or uh, social economic developments that are happening in that particular uh, region. From there, there's no question that there's all kinds of great positive changes that we want to see, but not necessarily all of them can be met through investment. So from that process, we then move to define very specific investment strategies that we believe can directly influence those outcomes. From those investment strategies, we then define and we go out and we originate. And we have to go out and find investments that we feel are consistent and aligned with those sectors, those strategies, those conditions. And then, of course, we, to your question, we diligence them. And I would say our diligence process looks like uh, asset class specific relative to any other traditional investment firm, that same rigorous qualitative and quantitative due diligence process. The difference, though, is from ours, as you've seen from the outset of our process, we have the social environmental factors fully baked into the process. And so, uh, the, so we, we take that traditional process and enhance it through a real deep understanding of the social environmental aspects uh, of these investments. So for example, I always kind of give like extremes to, to, to the, you know, if someone's bringing to us a clean tech investment opportunity as an example, uh, part of our process is not just evaluate that, we do the typical background checks that people do, but at the same time, we want to make sure that, you know, by day they're not advocating for a clean tech investment and then by night they're the local chapter president of Frackers for America, right? So we're going to also evaluate even in their background check uh, aspects or elements that have to do with social environmental issues. Then from that, we obviously we implement, and then as I said throughout this conversation, we actually measure. And the fact that we require, and by the way, we won't invest unless they agree to our measures. And many of these are already investees who are already committed to impact and have already defined their own investment standards and approaches, and that's fine. We respect that. But in order for us to accomplish our objective, which is how we want to communicate to our clients and make sure it's consistent with our process, we require everybody to report to our standards and our mains. And then it's this very kind of continuous dynamic process that constantly is, is uh, full of feedback loops where we, we're learning throughout the process. So do you have like a, a social contract that you have with the investees that they agree upon or is it just um, 
is it fixed or nailed down as in a contract or is it Com uh, it's it, it's a combination of both. As I said, first and foremost, they wouldn't even, we wouldn't even get to a contract stage unless it's already clearly demonstrated this in investment right. was consistent with the social environmental measures and impacts that we have. Uh, more often than not, what we end up with in particular, since our prime means of investing is through funds, although we do some direct investing and co-investing, our primary vehicle is fund investing, um, uh, taking a multi-manager approach, then the, the bulk of our contractual work is around solidifying or through kind of um, through um, side letters. This is kind of side typical letter, okay. in, in, in the industry. We will negotiate specific terms, but almost inevitably those terms are around the impact measurement. Uh, but I like to say we take a, a carrot and carrot approach there uh, as opposed to carrot and stick. So yes, we require that in order to invest. But one of the things, again, that it's a collaborative partner relationship is the sense that, for example, um, last uh, a couple of years ago, we were you know a, a green real estate uh, investment fund that we were considering evaluating. We knew you know intuitively based on the actual strategy, there was no question that, uh, that, that the investment would meet our kind of standards from a, from an uh, environmental and social impact perspective. But the manager just wasn't well equipped, hadn't actually created frameworks and methodologies. Now we were very fortunate to already be investing in another fund that had some of the best standards and practices in that. So rather than reinvent the wheel, what we did is we went to the manager A, who already has a history and deep experience in doing this work, and we said, "Are you okay?" with us sharing with manager B your methodology and approach and they said yes and so we then brought that to that manager and so helped them so so and then ultimately by them incorporating that into their practices us then incorporating that into their side you could say yes we've entered into a contract but again we're only going to invest in where this is already embedded in the investment opportunity and you know more often than not those contracts if you would already come predisposed to having those conditions, where they're not, yes, we will supplement them with the appropriate uh, language to get what we need. Okay, which is, which is the definition of impact investing. So back to you. The road to exterior transformation comes, of course, from the interior um, path. What is your personal development? Uh, do you have any rituals? How do you stay healthy uh, in this crazy world where everybody wants your time. I mean, you have a family, children, and uh, changing the world of investing. What personal practice do you have that you could share with us and our listeners and investors who are on the same path and don't want to get caught up in uh, you know, losing themselves on the outside and uh, paying a high price for, for that? Well, uh, the first thing I would say is I, I don't have as good as I, I literally would or need. In fact, probably many of the listeners probably might even I'd, I'd be open to suggestions because I myself could benefit from more uh, from more of that. But uh, I think that's for me, it's just a, a number of, of, of simple things. So first of all, you know, as I said earlier, I'm very passionate about the environment and nature. So I think if you're going to be passionate about it, well, you have to get out into it. And so I'm very fortunate. I live in a very uh, in a wonderful place where I have enormous access here in Northern California. And so I, you know, be it walks with the dog, I, you know, where I uh, just think or bike rides with my daughter um, or our annual uh, backpack hiking trip uh, and camping trip up into the Sierras. Those to me, those things are sacred and I make sure and preserve that time and, and that opportunity. Uh, secondly, um, get out there and see these things. 
uh, see you know the the real life experience and education uh, of literally walking the farms in in Africa, sitting in credit committee meetings in microfinance after riding the back of a truck in uh, the Andes. Uh, you know, seeing you know large scale development, uh, solar development challenges. So actually going out and touching these things for me is a big part. And then I think you know, lastly, uh, you know, convene with peers. And very, you know, we're very blessed. Uh, unlike the traditional investment industry, which has all been about black boxes and not sharing, right? We all are members of a community that uh, has a strong abundance and willingness to, to share. And so I do find, you know, uh, I do in, you know find myself uh, going to and trying to attend different industry events uh, more often than not, just to have those moments. Um, with industry co colleagues and peers and discuss and share ideas uh, and perspectives uh, just to kind of keep apprised of, uh, of uh, what's happening out there. And the last thing is because we are in the world of finance and we are trying to, as you talked about, the tipping point, mobilize capital within the, I still attend and try to participate on occasion, uh, not just going to the events that where we're all already the believers, but I like to go to, I, I personally spend more of my time going to events where the believers are not, um, because I want to understand what is it that they're saying? What is it that they're thinking? How is it that they're positioning? Why are they not yet getting it? Uh, in the hopes of being, in some cases, literally been the lone voice um, to, to bring up these issues in those kinds of conversations. But hopefully more often than not, to, by listening and understanding what, it, uh, what they're saying and how they're feeling or what they're thinking, to candidly be able to then perhaps come back and present them uh, the opportunities or the principles or the ideas that we stand for in a manner in which we'll hopefully uh, engage them and uh, get them to, uh, to perhaps, you know, uh, embrace uh, what we're doing. Uh, so I do still attend a number of kind of traditional investment type forums and events just to kind of get that, keep that perspective, try to keep a well-balanced perspective. Yes, a must. So in coming to an end, what are three specific pieces of advice uh, for our listeners, um, investors, entrepreneurs who want to get into this field, like three things to guide them to either begin or continue on this path? So I'll break it down into to, to two parts because hopefully in the end they, they come together. So I think for the investors, uh, for the investors that are listening to this, again, just understand there you know there's there are no more excuses as to why you can't find resources to help you in whatever they are if you're an avid reader there's deep research reports if you're just if you want the social media approach there's blogs there's podcasts such as this there are many ways now uh, uh, someone who you you can find a means to be educated on this topic in whatever method or form of education that you are accustomed to receiving that so i think that's that that that's really important and as i said earlier uh, be don't take no for an answer. Do not accept no for an answer. And as painful as this is, even if you have to fire long-standing relationships in order to get to uh, get there, uh, do it because that's that's really the only way you're going to ultimately achieve your objectives. And you need to remind, in particular, for those for those investors who work through other advisors, who's uh, you need to remind this industry. The traditional investment industry has done a very good job of. Uh, divorcing the actual ownership and control of assets from who, who owns them. Whether you're, so when it's your money, 
uh, remember the advisor works for you. If that advisor doesn't ha doesn't meet your needs, it's your money, not there. They like to talk about our assets, their assets under management. They're just that. They're they're their assets. They're not their assets. They're simply they're your assets that they're advising. And let's not forget that. And so even if it takes the if it takes the requires firing somebody, fire them. Make it happen. On the flip side, for the invest for the investees, I think it's really important to understand and recognize uh, who the investors you're talking to. So that if you are, you know, if you are talking to an investor, we, and I, I don't think this is about being disingenuous. It's about simply knowing your audience. So if you know you're talking to an investor who's much more focused, or perhaps is just first coming into this field, and as a result of that, may be highly skeptical or concerned, uh, or, or have issue or, or be, uh, have concerns around. The risk associated with making this investment, be sure your presentation and your discussion is highly targeted and focused around finance and risk and what you're doing as an operating business. If you know you're talking to somebody who's obviously much more enthralled or impassioned by the stories and the and the impact that you're having, be sure that you're that you're able to do that. Far too often I've seen hundreds if not thousands of pitches uh, at where someone will come in and will be just so singularly focused on what they want to tell you because they're they themselves are passionate about their impact or they themselves think that they've built the best widget and they're going to tell you how financially it's going to be revolutionary um, and that they, they don't calibrate that conversation to the investor. And so know your audience have the ability to spend to cover that entire spectrum or even if it takes two or three of you whatever it takes but just be sure when you go to the when you go to pitch you're equipped to be able to cover the spectrum and adapt and uh, to who your audience is brilliant thank you so last question where can people learn more about you and your work so can you repeat the url of your website sure uh, our, our website is www.sonincapital.com uh, you can follow us at Twitter at at Sonin Capital uh, at Sonin Capital, and uh, as I said earlier, we're we're very transparent, and we're, and you can always just email the firm at info at soninkapital.com. More than happy to address any questions or help you in any way possible. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on on our podcast. Thank you for your time and energy and for what you're doing in the world. Okay. We need more of you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about Mr. Pomaris, visit sonencapital.com. That's S-O-N-E-N capital.com. To find more information on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.